ESPN 97.7 and 100.1. Watch live on QSportsTalk.com. Watch out. Yeah, talking about way out there. Bayheim! Is that silence in a little bit? Schrader takes. It's a two-man rush. Schrader steps Don't up. Fit. Pop pass in the middle. Got Tucker's it. got it. Ruby run. 15, 10. Hit, oh. hit in. Gregory's touchdown. The Bills make me want to Allen looks to his left. Fires left side. It goes to the end zone. Stephon Diggs makes the catch. Touchdown, Buffalo. Swing into this. It is over. The Boston Red Sox. Baseball's best all season long. They have won it all. This is On The Block. Yeah, I was driving home yesterday, so I heard some of your show. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Brent. Thank you. Thanks, Brent. Two, one. Here's X-Men. ESPN Radio 97.7, FM, heard wherever you are, whatever you are doing on the ESPN app, seen, heard, and everything in between the magical QSportsTalk.com, a place that, guys, we're 10 days into 2023, okay? You're either sticking to your New Year's resolutions or you're not. You've either made New Year's resolutions or you're not. You're aware of QSportsTalk.com or you're not. For those few of you that are not, well, let me tell you about a place on the Internet where you can watch a radio show. You can watch a man yell into a microphone for two hours. You can chat with people on the Internet. Giving yourself a name, whatever you choose to name yourself. Sports Fan 01. I love Jordan Capozio too. You can be anybody. You can be anybody that you want on the internet, anonymously or not. You get your own show, the show within the show, if you will. Meaning when the radio audience goes to commercial break, uh, our friends on QSportsTalk.com. Do not. We keep the mic on, keep the camera on, we keep yapping at you. I mean, what more do you need to know? There are how many days left in, in this year, 2023? 300-plus days left, but um, I don't think it gets better than that to know today on this 10th day of January 2023. But that is a thing in the world for you at QSportsTalk.com. So come hang with us there. Or if you're just hanging on the radio, you're listening on the ESPN app, However you're taking in the show today, we greatly appreciate that. Maybe you record the show and then get home and transcribe it and read it. Hey, however you're doing it, we love that you're a part of it. We've got two great guests joining us today, and you're welcome to be our guest at 437-7644. In the chat at QSportsTalk.com, on Twitter, Brent Axe Media as well. But uh, there are two people we are going to chat with today who will be regular voices that you will hear throughout the season. Uh, we have heard from Coach Felicia Leggett Jack throughout the Syracuse women's basketball season on Tuesdays, presented by Bill Rapp, presented by Wegmans. 
and we're looking forward to continuing those conversations now that we're getting into the thick of ACC play. The Orange got a big win. They got Boston College coming up on Thursday, and we've got some uh, very interesting trends and stats and things going on with Syracuse women's basketball that we want to get the perspective from the head coach on. So we're going to continue to do that for you. But starting today, we are going to add Joe Girard into the mix, who will join us on Tuesdays and take us through the rest of the season now that the Syracuse men's basketball team, of course, is in the throes of ACC play. It's getting real, as the kids would say. I'll have to ask Joe if the kids still say that. Uh, So you will uh, see and hear that conversation right here in this hour. We'll add in a weekly conversation with Joe Girard. Love getting the player perspective on things in the world of name, image, and likeness. And you will, uh, speaking of which, there is, there's something involved there in this conversation that uh, I think we're going to help Joe out a little bit on the NIL front, and I'll just save that for when we play back that conversation for you here in about 20 minutes, and that is brought to you every Tuesday by RomanoCars.com. So giddy up, kids. Let's go. Felicia Leggett, Jack, Joe Girard. Joe in this hour, Felicia at 515. What more could you want? That is a full serving of both Syracuse men's and women's basketball. We're going to get into football here in the monologue. The blind side awaits. The biggest issue with Syracuse men's basketball right now. Pretty damning report on ESPN.com today from uh, one of the best in the business, one of the best investigative reporters in, really, I want to say sports. Just remove sports from the title. If you put Don Van Nada on the Congress beat, he would be the best of the best. Pretty damning for the NFL. And I think it's something we all anticipated I think it's something we all kind of recognized happened just over a week ago, Monday Night Football, and that was what was the NFL going to do about DeMar Hamlin, the Bills, the Bengals, and how the Bills and Bengals basically took control of the situation and said, uh, no, we're not getting back on the field, right? The NFL stands by what was put out there, but Don's reporting pretty much indicates like, yeah, uh, that you had a big old mess. And the Bills and Bengals had to take control of the situation when the grown-ups in charge here of the multi-billion dollar NFL uh, were the ones uh, that almost uh, turned that into a much worse situation. So we will get into that during hot takes. Of course, Georgia wins the national championship by TCU plus 13 and a half. Not looking so good today. Not only the biggest margin of victory in the history of a championship game, it's the biggest margin of victory in any bowl game ever. But what does that say about the college football playoff, Georgia, the national championship, and kind of where we stand? I will get into that later in the show, but where I want to relate that is, and to start off the show today, is where that relates to Syracuse. And I like to take a look at this every year. The day after the national championship game, and just have an honest conversation about a lot of things. How far away from that is Syracuse football? And just the mere suggestion of it, the mere asking of the question, probably elicits a chuckle or two from people out there because that's the harsh reality of what college football is. Now, the playoff is expanding. I think that's a good thing because in a different world, different seating, different way, Maybe Ohio State plays Georgia last night. And remember, in the first game of the playoff, Ohio State came one point away from knocking off Georgia. Just It's all about matchups. But through the end of it, there's a very short list that you can you know count on one hand that legitimately can win the national championship in college football, right? The rich get richer, NIL, transfer portal, everything that's going on here. 
And I wrote a column about this today on Syracuse.com. I hope you guys can read that. We discussed it a little bit on yesterday's show. So Syracuse is in a world where now, if they manage to find a player that's Ohio State caliber, which you now have a player going there from Syracuse. If you find an LSU caliber player, which Deuce Chestnut has now been deemed worthy to go to cornerback you via the transfer portal, these are good things. These are options that are out there for college athletes who have long been taken advantage of, who have long just made millions of dollars for the universities, for the NCAA, for whoever, you, which essentially is the universities. But we, we've been through this discussion. I don't need to beat that drum anymore. It hasn't completely balanced the scales, but at least the option is there, right? What that creates, though, is essentially Syracuse becomes AAA. Now, Syracuse is always AAA. This is a AAA town. It's a AAA baseball town. It's an American Hockey League town. And it's a major university town. Now, where Syracuse stands amongst the majors out there, it depends on how you ask that question and what sport you ask that question about. I mean, Syracuse just won a national championship in soccer and has had varied success in these so-called Olympic sports. But its front-facing programs, the big boys and the big girls, are all essentially rebranding and rebuilding. Football, 7-6, and six, did go to a bowl game. Has improved. We'll certainly dig into more football here in a second, but it's it's out there. They just had somebody going to the College Football Hall of Fame. The brand of Syracuse football, I think, you feel better about it now than you did a couple of years ago. But it, it comes and goes. It's nowhere near a power in the sport, but it does exist in the Power Five of the sport. So they got that going for them, which is nice. Basketball is obvious. It's more reputation, name, brand, everything. The results on the court haven't been what they need to be for the most part in the last five or six years. But when you get a Final Four, you get a Sweet 16 in there, it tends to not completely cover up the failings, but it helps. Coming off a losing season, as we stand in this moment, they're not in the NCAA tournament conversation. Can they play their way into it? So Syracuse basketball kind of exists on reputation right now. The women's basketball team is completely rebranding, rebuilding, looking good so far, but let's see what happens when, say, Notre Dame comes on Sunday and you start playing some of the heavyweights and where you truly measure up there. But by all accounts, it has been a a dramatic rebranding from what happened with Coach Q and everything that followed. Right? I'm not going to go through every program here, but men's lacrosse just had its worst season ever last year now has an incredible recruiting class, a 22 coming in, an electric player in Joey Spillina, who is a name you are going to hear a heck of a lot more in the spring. Women's lacrosse has, it's, if not the greatest player ever, certainly uh, uh, 1A, leading the program now. So Syracuse has a brand. Syracuse is recognizable. Syracuse is either by Carrier Dome, Otto is in a This Is Sports Center commercial, obviously the Newhouse School. I'm not going to sit here and do a commercial for Syracuse. It still has a place. But what got my brain going a little bit here is I look at TCU. Now, I understand where TCU is. Let's just put that right at the front of this conversation. TCU's in Texas. TCU is in such a fertile recruiting ground that they can get the leftovers from that area and field a team that goes to the national championship game. When it was 200 to 1 odds 
to do so before the season started. They were 5-7 and seven a year ago. They were picked to finish 7th in their conference. They run the 3-3-5 defense. This all sound familiar? But TCU has some built-in advantages in terms of alumni, in terms of money, NIL, all those things that Syracuse just does not have. But it has to get your brain going a little bit, right? If they can do it, why can't we? And I know that's a foolhardy question to ask to a lot of people. But if you're in a Power 5 conference, you've got a chance. You've got certain advantages. Right now, it's all about coach and quarterback and recruiting and all the 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 foundation that is placed there to be in that conversation. But let's let's look at this season as a whole. And, and shout out to my guys, uh, Kevin and company. I uh, was the about this. Somebody asked me to be the first ever guest on their podcast last night. So shout out to the Throwing Bagels podcast. I believe it comes out tomorrow. I'll, I'll tweet out the link and everything. And I had some fun with some old college buddies that. Uh, Started a podcast because no one else is, is doing that these days. That's a rare thing for someone to start a podcast these days as I joked around with my friend Kevin. Oh, you're starting a podcast. How original, right? But we had a lot of fun. And we discussed this last night. And I, I said this last night, and I was like, boy, I wish I thought of this line earlier. So Syracuse football in 2022, when they were 6-0, and they showed us what they can be. As Steve pointed out on the show yesterday in one of his many terrific phone calls to the show, they were only a couple spots away from TCU. They're undefeated. They're breaking records. They're doing things that Syracuse football teams have only done a handful of times. But we all knew what was coming on the back end. And what was coming on the back end was a tougher schedule, more road games, and the inevitable decline of depth, which did happen. And they held on by the hair on their chinny-chin-chin. They got to a bowl game. They lost that bowl game, but ultimately 7-6, and six, which if I had told you minutes before they kicked off against Louisville, I sat down next to you and I said, listen, I've, been, I've seen the future. I've, I've flown back with Doc Brown in my time machine, and I could show it to you. I could pull out my phone and be like, look, this is the future. This is what it is. And I show you seven and six. Take it or leave it on that spot, you would take it. You would take it. I can't show you the path how, but what I can tell you is this team's going to go seven and six. You would take it. Now, the second half of that season showed us who they are. First half showed us what they can be. The second half showed us who they really are. This is what the column, and I hold the opinion until I am proven otherwise, that this is about as good as it's going to get. And I get no pleasure in saying that, but I am paid and I am, I have an obligation to you to give you an honest opinion. I am not going to come on here and give you false hope. I'm not going to come on here and tell you something I do not believe. Dino Babers deals in faith and belief without evidence. That's not how I work. I need evidence. So when I watched that game last night, I see Georgia, such a power now, and again, only lost or only beat Ohio State by one point. But in a national championship game, beat somebody 65-7. to That is the absolute best-case scenario of what Syracuse could be and could do in a special moment in time. Because before every college football season, Syracuse is going to be what? They're going to be 200-to-1-plus odds to win the national championship. We could even look at that today, but I'm sure Jordan and, and Josh have already put a bet on it. 
five and seven last year. Syracuse was five and seven last year. Now the three three five thing, that's just, you know, stylistic things. I'm talking more big picture here, but they do do it, which enables you to recruit a certain type of athlete to come into your defense. This is a Syracuse football program that is going to have a number of players selected in it that left early, that were talented enough, that chose Syracuse, committed to Syracuse, and will be selected in the 2023 NFL Draft. And Sean, in no particular order, Sean Tucker, Matthew Bergeron, Mikel Jones, Garrett Williams. So they have a place. It's just we still have to kind of be honest with ourselves where that place is. And the column I wrote today spoke to, look, I understand, and, and the responses I got on Twitter were actually great, and I appreciated the feedback that I got from people there and via my email and, and just you know places where you get feedback from these things. Every conversation in college sports inevitably turns back to NIL. NIL and the portal are inevitably linked. I mean, Michigan is literally creating an NIL fund designed to keep people there. Just that specific purpose, to keep people there that are thinking about leaving, either early or via the portal. Syracuse can't do that. Now, somebody wrote me an email. Actually, I don't think they would mind if I read this. I think Dick actually had somewhat of an interesting thought here. He writes me an email that says, Brent, perhaps the answer is instead of paying one five-star a million dollars. Our generous scrap metal dealer should think about $100,000 for 10 four stars. In the new world of the ACC, with the exception of Clemson, is quickly becoming AAA farm clubs to the SEC and the Big Ten. The next big recruiting cycle is perhaps the last chance to stay with the big boys in the world of college football. I don't think he's wrong there. Now, I think the million-dollar offer is intriguing because it pops, but, you know, when I brought that up to John Wildhat during a conversation I had with him just over a month ago on Syracuse.com, I appreciated his candor and his honesty in saying, that's not enough for what the price is, for what you're looking for. You want to buy a five-star in football or basketball? That might not be enough. That's how quickly this world has evolved, Right. So they're in the game, but can they get on the field is the question. You're behind the velvet rope, but who's going to talk to you in the VIP room? Just because you get in the VIP room doesn't mean everybody's going to talk to you. How far away are they from what Georgia did last night, from even what TCU did last night? I don't think that answer changes much every and I'm not even going to put a mileage point on it. You can just picture it in your head, however you want to picture it in your head. But it's funny how we pretend we're playing the same game as those two schools we saw last night, and it couldn't be further from the truth. Syracuse football is what it is and is doing what it can within the context of how they are going to compete in the ACC, how they are going to maintain a program that what we talked about brings in talent that will go to the national football league that will maintain its reputation where it is now. And it's standing amongst the power five, the elite of the elite. That's a very short list. And the rest of the power five kind of fights for the rest. How much of that gets put in front of Syracuse as we stand here today on January 10th, 2020. 
That is the question. We had plenty of questions for Joe Girard. We're going to talk some hoops with Joe coming up here in just a few minutes, presented by RomanoCars.com. Felicia Legat-Jack later in the show. Looking forward to that. Looking forward to hearing from you throughout the program. ESPN 97.7 and 100.1. Watch live on QSportsTalk.com. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. And forced the... Uh, the, the... Keeper, Bennett, gets a block! Georgia draws first blood! With the play action, Bennett looks down the middle. McConkey's wide open! Touchdown, Dogs! Milton, no problem. Georgia overpowering TCU. And overpowered them to the point of 65-7. to The biggest margin of victory in any bowl game ever, let alone a national championship game. So we're going to bring it back here on the block, ESPN Radio, QSportsTalk.com. So we approach 444. If you have been hurt in a car, and we hope that's not the case, but if it is, make sure you call William Attar at 444-4444. Crank it up, baby. We've got a hot one for you. Oh, you're hot. Why, thank you. So are you. And I'm not afraid to cry. So hot. So hot and hot. Man, it's hot. How hot is it? It's so hot, I poured McDonald's coffee in my lap to cool off. <laughs> it's time for hot takes on the block. Now, I ain't going to lie, friends, and I think uh, most of you are with me on this. I didn't even watch the second half of that game. Uh, much to the... Um, so my daughter, uh, maybe I shouldn't talk about this because then it won't be cool anymore and she won't do it anymore, but she, she actually like hangs out with me at night sometimes and will like, just watch what I'm watching on TV. She just looks at her phone anyway, but... She did make the comment. She's like, Dad, she's like, listen, this football is just, it's just too much, right? She's just so much football I can take. And then they showed a commercial for the XFL. And she's like, oh, my God, there's more football, right? So she was happy that by the middle of the third quarter, we were watching reruns of The Office instead. But that's how out of hand that game was last night. That's how dominant Georgia was. But I'll give you my favorite moment from that broadcast. I believe it was at I said was at halftime, and David Pollock of ESPN is saying that Georgia is the program now. Georgia is college football now. Georgia is everything that Alabama was. And sitting just a mere inches away from David Pollock was Nick Saban. The torch has been passed, right? It is a very short list of teams that can do that. Georgia's on that list. Alabama's on that list. Clemson, for a while, was on that list. Ohio State and uh, Michigan kind of appear to be on that list, but then find ways to always fail in the playoff. Now, again, Ohio State only lost to this Georgia team by one point. And TCU deserves full credit for going from 5-7 and seven to the national championship game and everything they built there. But, man, they got their moment, and they got absolutely destroyed. So the interesting thing about college football and the National Football League that intrigues me, somebody brought this up today. I was listening to uh, Chris Russo, and somebody brought this up, and it really got my brain going because I think the initial thought on this is, is to push back and say no. So let me throw out what somebody suggested. 
that essentially college football has a salary cap similar to the National Football League. And I'm not talking about money, though that is as prevalent as ever in college sports, that there is some sort of like NCAA mandated system that where they designate stars and you have a cap on how many five stars you can have, how many four stars you can have, et cetera, et cetera. My initial pushback on that is no, because Georgia has built their program. Georgia was not this dominant five years ago. I mean, Alabama built up a program where it's just, you know, it's, it's an assembly line at this point, and even they lost two games this year. Georgia lost a national championship when Tua was the quarterback, when Devontae Smith was there, and Alabama's talent had just reached its peak. Now, they're always going to be in that conversation, and the short list of teams that can get that kind of assembly line of five-star talent is short. But what is it, 13 of the last 17 national championships have been decided by SEC teams, and you just kind of know with some exceptions. Like Deion Sanders will go to Colorado, shake things up. He'll get more five-stars to go there. He'll get more players out of the portal, right? Recruiting is still more important than the portal, though the portal is catching up rapidly. So my initial thought on something like that is to push back and say no, because why would you punish a Kirby Smart? Why would you punish a Nick Saban? Why would you punish somebody in college basketball that's able to do that? But, well, look at the rest of college football. An expanded playoff is coming, much like the NFL has. Name, image, and likeness is here. The transfer portal, which is essentially free agency in college football. College football will always have its roots in what it is, amateur athletics. You couldn't tailgate last night at the game, but, you know, the atmosphere of a college football Saturday, tailgating, the band playing, the pride of that being your alma mater. It's also never been more sanitized and like professional sports. So why wouldn't you do that? I'm not saying, I'm not going to make like a big push for it, but that might actually be a solution if you look at it as a problem. The list of teams, like if you're going to place a wager today, and the odds for next year always come out the next day, the day after the championship, you're going to pick from one of three teams maybe? And they're the same three teams. Somebody might cycle in and out different, but it's a combination of Georgia, Alabama, and Ohio State. Without even looking at it, I can tell you those are probably the three that are favored next year. Michigan is depending upon Jim Harbaugh coming back, and maybe there's a wild card in there just to throw off the scent and get some people to make some crazy bets and, and lean on their passions. But that's pretty much who who's going to be favored, and that's pretty much who's favored year in and year out recently, right? So I don't know if I would be in favor of such a thing, but the difference between the National Football League and college football, while there are distinct differences, that's hot. the gap's never been closer either. Don Van Nata of ESPN wrote what I would call a damning piece today for the National Football League. So last Monday with Cincinnati, Buffalo, the DeMar Hamlin situation in and of itself kind of took on its own story. And the main focus was how is he and his care and reviving him on the field and all the details that came in and just how our hearts sunk and were worried about him until the news got better as the week went along to the point where he's even back in Buffalo now. Okay, so thank the good Lord that that story went that way. But there was always an undercut of, like, we're going to come back to something here. And that is how the National Football League handled this thing. 
I would put, for what it's worth, Don Van Nata up there at the very top of the list. He is as good as it gets when it comes to reporting, investigative reporting, interviewing, like the whole package. I use several examples of Don Van Nata's work in my class at Syracuse. He is just one of the best of the best. I would highly encourage you to read this story that he put up. And I give ESPN credit for doing this, a partner with the National Football League, remember, and just had that huge weekend where they had the playing games, if you will, with uh, you know the Jacksonville-Tennessee matchup. They've been given better games on Monday night football. They're being given better playoff packages. Like ESPN had some making up to do to the National Football League for a myriad of reasons in recent years. And it feels like Jimmy Pitaro, the president of ESPN, has essentially kissed and made up. So for Don Van Nata to write this story and write it as well as he did. And for Joe Buck, the voice of Monday Night Football, to be as open and as honest as he was in this piece, I give both of them credit, and I give ESPN a lot of credit for even writing this story because they toe a fine line of covering their business partners and doing business with their business partners. So I can't go through the whole thing here. I would encourage you to read it for yourself. But essentially it goes through the timeline and does not paint a flattering picture of who had to make the call, the command center, if you will, the pressure that was being put on. See, the NFL has somebody at every game that essentially acts as, you know, someone's got to make these decisions. Something big happens, something goes awry. Who executes league policy in each stadium? And the person that was tasked to do that and the conversations that she was having with the league office, what Troy Vincent did and didn't do, what Goodell claimed he did when he didn't, essentially, which I think we picked up on. Because remember, the big thing was Joe Buck several times on the broadcast says, we have been told the teams are being given five minutes to warm up and they're going to play this game, which obviously did not happen, and thank God it did not. And I feel like a lot of that was just standard operating procedure. The NFL is so used to just literally stepping over the bodies and continuing the game that that's just probably what they do. No one ever corrected Joe Buck, and he makes that point in the story. If He said, if I was erroneous, I would have been immediately corrected. No one ever did. He was getting that right from John Barry, who is essentially he's the Mike Pereira for ESPN. He's in communication with the league. So what Don Van Nata does in the story is just goes minute-by-minute timeline of what happened, how the league responded, and how what we sensed and got really the impression that Zach Taylor and Sean McDonough, Sean McDonough, not Sean McDonough, Sean McDermott, that Zach Taylor and Sean McDermott were the ones that shut this game down, that they essentially told the NFL to stick it, that they were the ones that said, okay, because there was a while, everybody's still on the field, everybody's shocked, what's happening, are we going to play? Some members of the Bengals were warming up. Stephon Diggs was trying to fire up his teammates because, again, this is what these guys do. They didn't know how serious this was. But when it did hit them, right, it showed you that even the multi-billion dollar machine that is the National Football League can screw the pooch on something as serious as this. And that if Sean McDermott and Zach Taylor didn't take matters in their own hands, send their teams to the locker room, and express to league officials, no, we're not playing, who knows what would have happened. And if they had gotten back on that field and ultimately the right thing happened, But it was a fascinating look behind the curtain at the process and how this went. And my instincts paid off here. I believe Joe Buck. 
For those that were saying, why would Joe Buck say that? My answer to that is Joe Buck wouldn't say that unless Joe Buck had that. From a reliable source, Joe Buck is too good at his job to just go out there by the seat of his pants on a broadcast with 30 million people watching and say, yeah, yeah, I think they're going to play again in five minutes. Now, that was coming directly from the league through John Barry, ESPN's you know, liaison, if you will, to the league to officials. He's like Mike Pereira. He's like the he's the review guy, but those those guys actually do a lot more than just, you know, review plays. They're like the connection to the to the remember when they do replays, they send it back to New York. So that's a whole thing that we can explain another time. But for Joe Buck to do that, love or hate Joe Buck, and I think the hate on Joe Buck is ridiculous, but another topic for another day. Read Don's story. and it'll, it'll, Every instinct that you had about the NFL just being like, yep, okay, guy went to the hospital, whatever, get back out there and play. This game's too important. We're all validated. Back after this.